17.20 says, Once, on being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God was coming, listen to this, the Pharisees, was at, they were asking Jesus, when is the kingdom of God coming, okay? Really think about this. He answered them, The kingdom of God is not coming with signs to be observed. Nor will they say, Here it is or there. For behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. King James says, The kingdom of God is within you. Now this is really messing them up. I want you to think about the what their expectation was for a minute. Their expectation was, you know all of the signs and the wonders you see in the book of Revelation and all the cataclysmic things that are happening? They feel like all these signs are going to happen. Suddenly, God is going to come on earth. He's going to establish His kingdom in Jerusalem and it's all going to be over. And so when they ask this question, when is it coming? He says there will be no observable signs. This kingdom is going to come, and it's right now upon you. You're in the midst of it. It's in your heart. It's, it's happening now. Matthew chapter 12, verse 28 says this. But if I drive out demons by the Spirit of God, then what? The kingdom of God has come upon you. If you see me driving out demons, then the Spirit of God has come upon you. And He drove out demons. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray right now, Lord God, that your spirit would be upon this message. Lord, I just pray that you give me the strength to preach it, Lord God. Oh, Father, that you would give ears, Lord God, that would hear, Lord. Change us today and transform us today. In your name I pray, Lord Jesus. Everybody said, Amen. Hallelujah. The title of my message is, The Shadow Government. Got that? Or the shadow kingdom, whichever you prefer. Now, how many here know what a shadow government is or a shadow kingdom? Does anybody know what that would mean? That's a term that we hear. Anybody know? Okay, what's a shadow government? Do you know? Actually, I'm asking a real question this time. I usually am rhetorical. What's a shadow government? Okay, that doesn't exactly tell me what it is. Covert, what does it mean by shadow, though? What's that? Some people would say the Illuminati. Now, what does that mean? Shadow government. Okay, here's the ideal. The ideal is we have a government that's visible. But what somebody will tell you about a shadow government is, is that government is just playing a game. You know, they think they're in charge. They believe they're in charge. 
But there's a whole other set of people that are running the show. And some people will say it's the Illuminati. This elite group of people over the history of time, the Rockefellers, the Vanderbilts, the Rothschilds, the wealthy people of the world. And some will say, well, they're the shadow government. They're running all the governments of the world through the banking system. Some would say, hey, you know, it's the, um, it's the, um, the secret service. You know, the CIA, they've got all these covert operations and they even, you know, put the right president they want in there and they, they, they don't know exactly what they're doing and they're, you know, they're so covert that they don't even tell our government, they just run our country, right? And so we've got an idea what a shadow government is. Now, those aren't the issues I'm going to discuss today. I'm going to discuss the kingdom or the government that Jesus established when he began his ministry. He brought what he called the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of God in in the book of Luke is what they commonly say in Mark. But in Matthew, it was always called the kingdom of heaven. And that's one question they kept trying to ask was, when will this kingdom be established? Because this kingdom was prophesied for a long time before Jesus' life. In fact, you'll find in Daniel 2 that that kingdom is to come is going to shatter every other world power and when it is established, it'll last forever. And so the Jews were looking for this kingdom that was going to come, that was going to last forever, and this Messiah was going to come and establish this kingdom. And so when Jesus came, they were on the lookout. In fact, everybody was on the lookout. Do you know that when his birth happened in Matthew, um, the, the wise men from the east, they came and they said, let us see the one who is the king of the Jews. Very odd thing. Can you imagine a baby being born in your household? And dignitaries come from foreign nations just because they want to see, not the one that is going to become the king. They came to see the one who is the king of the Jews. Isn't that amazing? So here comes a king, and he says in that scripture that I just read, if you see me casting out demons, then my kingdom is here. My kingdom is now. My kingdom is currently at this moment being established. And you say, well, how do you know? Because they kept on giving us updates. Isaiah was saying the king is going to come. The government will be on his shoulders. He'll be born a baby of a virgin in Bethlehem out of Egypt from Galilee. And when this king comes, he's going to do this, 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 and this. And he did all of those things. And then John the Baptist came and was a forerunner. And John the Baptist came and said what? Repent. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Means the kingdom of heaven is really, really close now. In fact, I can almost smell the Messiah in our midst. You understand? It was coming really close. And then Jesus appears. 
at that moment to be baptized by John. And then Jesus begins saying, now the kingdom is here. And boy, when he said the kingdom is here now, some ears started to perk up. Why do you think the disciples were arguing about what their place was going to be in the kingdom? Do you think they were going to have a last supper, a death and a resurrection, and no kingdom set up on the earth? You understand, they thought he was going to march to Jerusalem, he was going to establish the eternal kingdom, and it would all be over. So they were arguing who's going to be the best, who's going to be the greatest, who's going to sit to the right, who's going to sit on the left, who's going to have the most power. And so Jesus came, and he actually established a kingdom. You say, well, what did he do? I don't see it. Where is this kingdom? He said the kingdom was within us. That it is actually in existence, and it's in us. And it's among us, and it's in the midst of us, and it's happening right now. And so he begins to talk about this kingdom in Matthew. <clears throat> I don't know what happened to my voice. I had a voice when I came here today. <clears throat> Matthew is the book of the king. Matthew is written in a very unique way, and unless you've seen an overview of Matthew, you don't realize how unique the book was written. The Gospels were all written from a different point of view and, and trying to express a different point. And the point, thank you, the point that Matthew is trying to express is a king is in our midst and they're laying out um, details. They're laying out details of this king. And I want you to see the way that he wrote this book. Matthew chapters 1 through 4. Now let's say that you were going to have a government that was going to come in and overtake the United States of America. Would you have questions? Wouldn't you want to know something about this new government? Well, Jesus is coming in like a king who is establishing a new government, and this book is written in a way that makes you understand what the new government is going to be like. Okay, and how he's going to establish his kingdom and how it's going to operate. You won't look at the book of Matthew the same way if you understand this. It's totally different than the way you probably read it before. You probably read it in fragments, not understanding why they tried to write it this way. So he starts off, and there's three questions he's trying to answer in the book of Matthew to the minds of the people who are expecting a kingdom to come in force, in power, and established physically on this earth. You guys understand that? They believed it was going to physically show up on the earth like David's kingdom would, and that will happen in the future. But it's not how Jesus decided to establish it on his first coming, but he will on his second. The things that they were expecting was going to be on the second coming, but the first com coming was all written in code. I mean, like code. How many have ever had like one of those, uh, remember those, that Ovaltine decoder? You know, that had the mysterious message in it. And the little boy was just like trying to decode exactly what was on the box. And he was so excited because he knew it had to do with treasure or something really important. And then when he decoded it, it said, 
drink more Ovaltine. <laughs> but you know, everything that Jesus was doing in establishing his kingdom in his first coming was written in code. That's why he spoke in parables. That's why the prophecies were very obscure. We look at the prophecies now and say, wow, he fulfilled all that. But if you go back and read most of those prophecies in context, it doesn't even look like prophecies. How many know that? I mean, it's like, how is that a prophecy? But then it's like everywhere. It's like so many places in the Old Testament, like David is just randomly talking, and he's like, and my friend betrayed me for 30 pieces of silver. And I will call my son out of Egypt. And he will... Galilee of the nations, you won't be sad anymore. Even though you're getting routed by the Assyrians, a son will be born in your area. And in another place he says, well, a child will be born, and she will be a virgin. They will call his name Emmanuel. And all these places in the Old Testament, it was written in cold almost. You didn't know what they were talking about, but then when you put it all together, all these fragments of these prophecies, some were pure prophecy, some were just like, Wow, I didn't realize those were all talking about one person, hundreds of them. I mean, I think that's amazing. Hundreds of things telling every detail of his life, and nobody realized what was there totally until, he, until Jesus was resurrected. And then he came back and he began to explain to them what the Bible, that he began to explain to them the Old Testament. Here's all the places that speak about me. And they began to decode it. They begin to figure out, here is the king. And so he comes in and chapters 1 through 4, here's the question that he's trying to answer. What right do you have to be our king? I mean, I think that's a good question if somebody's going to come in and rule our lands. What right do you have to be our king? Number 2, chapters 5 through 7 is, life like in the kingdom that you rule over? I mean, I think that would be interesting. Let's say that Islam came in and became the ruler of our nation. What would life be like? What would it be like for a man? What would it be like for a woman? What would it be like for children? What would it be like for teenagers? And so we'd want to know the answer to these questions, right? What is life going to be like on a day-to-day basis in the kingdom? The third part, this is chapters 8 through 10. What power do you have to administrate this kingdom or enforce it? So what Jesus is trying to do in the Gospel of Matthew is, he's trying to answer the questions of his kingship. It's the book of the king is what it is. It's the Gospel about the king. Okay, so he comes in. Chapters 1 through 4, they start off, which is unusual, and everybody looks at it and says, man, that's kind of boring. The genealogy. And with this genealogy, they begin to trace back, and what they're trying to answer to the Jewish people is, what right do you have to be our king? And and the question that God is going to ask every human being on the face of this earth, he wants to be the king of your heart. And the first question that we're going to ask is, why should I allow you to be the king of my heart? What right do you have? And so God, for the rest of your life, is trying to convince you that I should be the Lord or the king of your life. 
And for the rest of their life, those who reject God are going to be saying, I'm the king of my life. I'm the Lord of my life. I'll do what I want to do. I'll be what I want to be. And I'll live the way I want to live. And he's trying to say, no, I want to be your king. If you'll allow me to be the Lord of your life, wonderful things are going to happen to you. I'm going to usher you into my kingdom. And today, in fact, I'm, I want everybody to make sure you stay with me to the end of this message because God wants to talk about what it means when you're in the kingdom on this earth. See, here's the problem. We've got ourselves convinced that one day I'm going to walk up to those early gates. St. Peter's going to be standing there. Right? Everybody, this is usually the start of a joke. Okay, and there's usually a punchline. All right, here's the punchline. It doesn't happen that way. There's no pearly white gate and Peter, St. Peter's standing there with a pen asking you why I should let you in. Here's the truth. The kingdom of heaven is right now. Right now the doors are open and God is saying, whosoever will. He's, what, what he demonstrated to us is, I'm opening the gates of heaven for everybody right now. I'm opening the door for everybody and I'm going to show you by the people I select. The scribes and Pharisees were like, well look, he takes prostitutes before he'll take us. He opened the gates of heaven and he said, look, prostitute, repentant, drunkard, repentant, come on in. All these people that nobody would ever allow in, they shut the gates of heaven so tight that they wouldn't let anybody else in. And he says, repent. Big word there. Turn away from your behavior. Go the other direction. I'll give you all the grace and righteousness you need. Don't worry about that. But I need you to turn away from your sin and head toward me and the gates open for you. And so he began to minister to the woman at the well. He began ministering to the demon-possessed. He began ministering to the sick. He began ministering to Gentiles. He began ministering to everybody to let them know the kingdom is now. The doors are open. And now you can either become part of my kingdom or you choose not to. And there's going to come a day, not where Peter stands at the gates and takes your name and sees if you can come in. There's going to come a day that the door's shut. Just like Noah's Ark, the door shut and they banged and banged and banged on the bolt, couldn't get in. It was too late. The gates of heaven are wide open right now, wide open for whosoever will. Whoever will repent, whoever will accept Him as their King, the doors are wide open. And He says, come on in. But then real soon, the gates are going to shut. And you can't get in. You're not going to go to that gate and say, St. Peter, here's the reason why I think I should be in. Do you understand that's not true? They're open right now. His kingdom is now, but soon they will shut. If you're not a kingdom person now, the doors are going to be shut. We've got to be about the kingdom right now, and that's what this message is about. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent and be a kingdom person.
So as I go into this, the first question is, why should you be my king? The genealogy, one genealogy takes it all the way back to Adam. The other one takes it all the way back to Abraham. And it says, look, here's why this person has the right to be king. Now take any king that's ever existed in the world, and you can't make this case for him. All right, what right do you have to be king? Well, it was prophesied in the garden all the way back to the first man and the first woman. And it was prophesied all the way through their kids, their kids, their kids, all the way up to Abraham, Abraham's kids, Abraham's grandson, Abraham's great-grandson. You understand that the enemy has always wanted to kill that bloodline because God was playing a little game with them. God said, I'm going to prove my sovereignty because the Redeemer is going to come out of that bloodline. And that bloodline is going to be the most hated bloodline that's ever existed because I've decided that the Messiah will come out of that particular bloodline. Very specific bloodline, by the way. So they begin to give the genealogy of that bloodline. And they begin to say that that bloodline is going to produce this person. And by the way, according to this genealogy, no other person can fulfill it except this one person. So the Messiah that was promised in the beginning, the Messiah who's the only one who can open the seven seals in Revelation, it's this person and there's no other person that can fulfill it. It's like literally impossible for somebody else to fulfill it. So he says, so I'm your king. And then he begins to talk about not only his genealogy, because that's what happened before he was born. Then he says, okay, here's my birth, chapter 2. My birth, they came from all over the world to say, let's look at the current king. Prophecy after prophecy after prophecy, a helpless child can't fulfill prophecy. Every prophecy was fulfilled before he even had an ability to make a decision. And so Matthew, there are over, in fact, I wrote down here, 68 Old Testament prophecies were cited in just the book of Matthew. 68. And what Matthew is trying to say is, all through that book is, this is your... His birth was really unique. They were calling him king when he was sitting in a stable in a barn, and his birth was prophesied for thousands of years. This is your man. Behold your king. And he goes on. And it was long ago predicted that this king would have a forerunner. That somebody would come in advance and would be a herald to the king. That he would be, begin telling the people, prepare, 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 here comes your king. Just like clockwork, John the Baptist. Now, what in the world caused John the Baptist to behave like he did? John the Baptist went out in the places, and they, they say John the Baptist had such a following. People went from long, just hit crowds like nobody had ever had before. And everything that he was saying was, prepare the way your king is now here. You see how this book's about a king? And so he's preparing the way, and with these crowds like you've never seen before all around, he says, behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Behold your king, Israel. And here comes Jesus walking into the water, 
said, I can't baptize you. He said, you must. He baptizes him, and in that moment, all of heaven opens up and says, there's the Holy Spirit, and there's the Father audibly saying, this is my son. Right here, behold your king. Behold your king. So he goes on. <clears throat> right after he gets baptized, now remember, this is a book about a king, right? Right after he gets baptized, now he's got to be tested to see if he's king material. Now remember, the first king that was put over the earth was Adam. It says Adam was put in a lush garden and was supposed to rule over everything and reign over everything. Failed. Jesus was put in a barren desert, hadn't eaten for 40 days, hadn't drank for 40 nights, and had the same test applied. Are you worthy to be the king? Let's find out. So Jesus was tested like no person has ever been tested. Satan himself tested him with everything that he could possibly think of that would make him fail like Adam did. He passed with lying calling. And he came down from the wilderness and began the next phase and the next question. So he's your king. There's no doubt about it. Nobody's ever passed the test like this person. He is your king. The next question you would ask is, how do the people in your kingdom live? What's day-to-day life like? So it says Jesus came in the power of the Holy Spirit and He began to teach them a new way of life. Isn't that amazing? The King came down and now He wants you to know here's what life is like in my kingdom. And here's the thing. There are people in this world that are kingdom people. He said you're sons of your Father in heaven. And He said there are those who are sons of the evil one. So we're either sons and daughters of the kingdom, and we behave like the kingdom, or we're sons and daughters of the world, and we're trying to live for the kingdoms of the world. How many know that? So he begins to tell you, here's what sons of the kingdom and daughters of the kingdom look like. Remember, he's the king. And now he's presenting in what's called the Sermon on the Mount. It starts in chapter 5 and goes through chapter 7. So 5 through 7, he's telling you, how do the people in the kingdom live? And it's amazing teaching. In fact, he starts off, like, let me start here. There are four groups of people. Let me think about this for a second. Four groups of people that are listening to the king. There are four different religious groups. This isn't the world. I want you to get these four groups, Okay. Because I think we can find ourselves in these four groups. They all had expectations. I mean, no, we all have expectations. I mean, when we, when we get together and we start talking about the world around us, do you know that we all think we have the solution? Well, you know, if I were running the government, if I were running the church, if I were running that team, we all do it, right? We all do it. These four groups did it. They had their ideal what it was going to look like, what it was going to be like, what it was supposed to be like, but here's the deal. Jesus has a shadow government. That shadow government has already won. That shadow government's already victorious. That shadow government's 
already the king, okay? And I'm going to get to that in a moment. And it's already to establish on this earth, but God's trying to find out who are the kingdom people and who aren't. Are you a kingdom person or are you not? And we're going to get it into a minute. These parables start really telling stories about people that just didn't get it. They think the kingdom's coming only. They don't know the kingdom is now. Kingdom people are now. Behavior is now. Character is now. Integrity is now. You don't get it one day. It's now. And either you're a kingdom person or you're not a kingdom person. Either you received, in fact, Jesus used the term, Jesus used the, the gospel of the kingdom. Every time he talked about preaching, he was preaching the gospel of the kingdom. The good news of the kingdom. Fifty-five times in uh, Matthew, he talks about the kingdom. Everything he preached was about the kingdom. And so he's trying to tell them kingdom life is how you're supposed to live. Here's the four groups of people that were there. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Essenes, and the Zealots. See if you can find yourself in this group. Because they all had a little something they did well, and they had some things they did really badly. The Pharisees. Nobody thinks anything good about the Pharisees, right? The Pharisees, and I'm going to oversimplify this, I know, but the Pharisees were all about going back to the law. It was all about the old, okay? The Pharisees were the ones that were all the time saying, go back, back. Well, back. Jesus was going to really radically change their world. Because what Jesus was saying is, you have to have better righteousness than the ones who want to go back to their original righteousness. You have to be greater than the scribes and the Pharisees. Jesus said, I'm going to have a law that's greater than what they had. And he's going to begin to redefine the law that he had which actually was a little harder on him. But he was a little easier to fulfill. Does that make sense? He says, you've heard him talk about murder. He said, but I tell you, if you're even angry against your brother, you've committed murder in your heart. He said, you know what they say about lust. And yes, they try to keep that law about the lust. But my law is a little harder. Uh, Adultery, I'm sorry. Adultery, you know what they say about adultery. My law is a little harder. You're not even allowed to lust in your heart. You know, and he began to redefine the laws and say, you know what? In the kingdom, we're actually a little harder on ourselves, but we have grace. We have grace and we have his righteousness now. And so he, he kind of blows their mind. They're saying, go back. And he's saying, no, I'm giving you something totally different that's better than the original law. It's more stringent than the original law, and it's easier to keep than the original law. And so he's going to blow their mind. New kingdom's different than the old one. Sadducees came along. These were the people that had the rationalization. They were the ones that were saying, no, move forward. They were much more liberal in their theology. They didn't believe in any power. They didn't believe in any spirits. They didn't believe in any supernatural. They were just rational. And they felt like, you know what, we can think our way through this. We can do it all different, but yeah, we've got some ideals on how we can do that. And Jesus was going to blow their mind. Jesus was going to say, Noah, I'm going to come and and you're going to see signs and wonders like you've never seen before. 
He's going to say, if you want to live this life, you're going to have to have some of the power from the world to come. So that's why he established his kingdom now. How many know that he says to the believers in Hebrews, you've experienced the powers of the world to come. So the power of that kingdom is going to be poured out on this world and you can't live the way I want you to live unless you have the power from the world to come. And the Sadducees are like, no. That doesn't make any sense. We don't believe in power or supernatural. We don't believe in signs and wonders. We don't believe in God coming down and supernaturally doing anything. He blew their mind. He said, in my new government, God is here to do powerfully in your life, and without God, you can't do it. They blew their mind. The Essenes, many of you have heard about the Essenes. They probably were the people in the dead Sea Scroll area there. They were very uh, isolationist. And they were very godly, holy, separatist, isolationist. And they're like, yeah, we're going to stay over here, and we're going to stay holy. We're not going to interact with these other peoples. Jesus blew their mind. Blew their mind. Because Jesus began to say, the doors of the kingdom are open. Come out, come out wherever you are. The scenes. Come out from hiding. Come out from hiding. This kingdom is ready to clash with that kingdom. I have a kingdom. My kingdom is ready to clash with Satan's kingdom. I'm here to destroy the works of the enemy and you can't do it when you're hiding in your little village. So here, I'm going to save prostitutes. I'm going to save drunkards. I'm going to save alcoholics. I'm going to save the same thing. Okay. I'm going to save the people that you're hiding from. So come out wherever you are. It's time to stand up because you're going to be reviled you're going to be persecuted. You're going to have to hold the Holy Spirit's power to even know what to say. Because I'm going to put you in front of kings. I'm going to put you in front of people. I'm going to put you out there in that world with a message. And you're going to stand strong. You're not going to isolate yourself. You're going to be of my kingdom and not in this kingdom. You're going to be strangers. You're going to be foreigners but you're going to be doing the work of my kingdom. That means I'm going to open the gates every day and you're going to walk out of the gates because you've been in my temple. You're going to walk out and you're going to go on the highways, you're going to go on the byways, and you're going to say, come on. Come on, the door's still open. The door's still open. The door's still open. Well, how do I come in? That's it. That's it. Repent. Do I have to uh, keep all of the laws? Well, that was what the Pharisees said. But what God wants you to do is turn away from every sin and His grace and His righteousness are going to heal that sin. But you do have to turn away from it. You have to repent if you want to walk into the gates with me. And then there was another group. <clears throat> the zealots. The zealots. Who were the zealots? Well, Jesus had one of the zealots in his uh, crew, and uh, when the Roman soldiers tried to arrest him, he cut his ear off with a sword. But no, it's not going to happen. The zealots felt like they could have a resistance 
that could overcome the Roman government, drive them out of Jerusalem, and let's set up our headquarters, just like the Bible says. And the zealots were trying to set up God's kingdom on earth, and they had no idea. He blew their mind. Because His kingdom was here. His kingdom was here, and they were trying to set a kingdom up on earth. And so they were trying to fight with a military resistance, and Jesus said, no, I've got to explain to you, this is how my kingdom works, and you want it to be that way. I mean, know that our ideals have to be checked at the door, because the king has a whole new plan here. And the plan is the Beatitudes. Let me give you some of the highlights here. Sermon on the Mount. He said, the people in my kingdom, number one, will be poor in spirit. They'll be humble. We know a lot of the ideals they had were really proud. Ideas, they were like, we can do it. We've got the strength, we're strong. We can overcome. He says, no, my people will be poor in spirit. They'll be humble. The number one quality that he lists first is humility. They'll have humility the people of my kingdom. The second thing he said is they'll be remorseful for sins. My kingdom, just think about this. What if this whole earth right now were just kingdom people? That's what it's going to be one day. God's made them a people that do his will. And so if we're all kingdom people and only kingdom people are left, the whole world's going to do his will. That's how you know that, that's how you, you know in the Lord's Prayer it said, your kingdom come, kingdom come, that's what we're talking about today, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So his kingdom comes through us when? When we do his will on earth as it is in heaven. That's why we stand up for what's right. That's why we always try to do the right thing, always, because that's how His kingdom comes. Right now we have His kingdom in part. Real soon we're going to have His kingdom in full. And so He begins to expound and He says, Be humble. Be remorseful for sin. So Ken, if I go out and I try to... If if there's sin all around me, right? And my only measure of success is, have I wiped all of it out? Was I able to wipe it all out? Was I able to make this place that is around me a kingdom on earth? For God, I'm no better than what the Essenes or the um, Zealots wanted to do. But what does God call me to do? Be remorseful for sins. Stand up for what is right. The battle has already been won, church. You say, well, what if I don't make God's kingdom here on earth? He's already going to do that. What's he asking for us to do? Stand up for what's right. In fact, he's going to get that in just a minute, but he wants us to be remorseful. His kingdom people are remorseful for sins. It says, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. They are mourning over sins. They're sad over sins. How many it breaks your heart? What kind of people are kingdom people? People that sit home and say, God, I grieve over this. I know that you grieve over this. God, it breaks my heart. I'm going to do everything I can to stand up against wickedness in our society. Because I mourn over it. How many do that? And I mourn over that. I don't want this world to be like this. And it says, um, 
They're meek people. That means they're not me first people. The world that we've cultivated is what? Me first. In fact, I was looking at somebody's desk the other day where, where I do work, and big giant sign that says, it's all about me. So I always make sure every time I go by that desk, I always say, it's not about you. And they say, why? I said, I don't know. When I see that sign, I just feel like I need to say that. But how many know kingdom people, it's not about us. There's always that sacrificial part of us that shows that we're kingdom people. I want to, be, I want to look like a kingdom person. Because the gates are open right now. I wanted God to know I'm going in and out of the kingdom every day. I'm doing His work every day. I have the characteristics of a kingdom person. It says they're hungry to do what's right. Hunger and thirst for righteousness, they will be filled. Do you get up every day and you're hungry to do what's right? Or do you get up every day and you think about evil? That's the two. Juxtaposition between the two ideals. And so the kingdom people, they get up every day and they're like, man, what can I do right? I want to do the right thing. Even if it hurts, I want to do the right thing. I'm a kingdom person. They're merciful. They have a purity of heart. They make peace with God and people. They're okay with persecution. They're okay with insults. They're salt and light. This is the things he's teaching here. He's telling them, this is how my kingdom operates. Here's the behaviorisms in my kingdom. If Islam came to America, here's what it would look like. If you're part of God's kingdom, this is what life looks like. Because you are salt and light. He said, I put you on this earth to be salt. But if you're not salty, what good are you for the world around you? So God tells us to be the salt. Jesus says, be the light because you're in a dark place. The people in my kingdom are light. He goes on. So they have a bigger law than the other people. That means that murder is not just murder anymore. It's, we don't even want to be angry anymore. I mean, no, if you're a Christian, you're like, man, murder is wrong. I don't murder anybody. But you know what? I don't even want to really be angry with anybody. You know, adultery is wrong. But I don't just want to not do adultery. I don't want to lust after anybody. So what we begin to do as kingdom people is we put a law that's higher than the original law. Like we're really hard on ourselves because we love Him and because we're kingdom people. He talks about murder, adultery, divorce, making promises, revenge, love for enemies, giving to the needy, prayer, fasting, materialism, treasures, anxiety, worries, Behavior toward other people, narrow and the wide road, true and false prophets, true and false disciples, and wise and foolish builders. This is a king presenting life in his kingdom. Uh, Number three, they ask, what power do you have to govern or be our king? Wouldn't you want to know that? What authority do you have to be our king? So in the third section, chapters 8 through 10, he demonstrates his power so everybody knows by what power He's going to govern. And when he does, he begins, here's the order. He begins to show his authority and power to govern. He heals leprosy, heals the Gentile centurion servant. He heals all every single human being that's sick in the area. He calms the storm. He heals the two demon-possessed men at Gadarene. He forgives and heals the paralyzed man. He raises a dead girl. And then he sends his disciples out and tells them to do the same thing, and they do What's he saying? 
He's saying, I have power over every sickness. I have power over every demon in hell. I have power over the weather. I have power over all the elements. I have power over everything. So basically what he's saying is, I'm God. He's demonstrated his ability to be the king. And then there's two more sections here. In fact, what's really amazing as you begin to study this, and I'm going to try to close this real soon. I know I'm going really long. What time is it? 12 o'clock. Then he goes on and he has the next section where the king is rejected. So that whole section is about how everybody began to reject the king. Now just remember, he proved himself as the only He taught what the new kingdom life is like. He demonstrated his power over everything. And the next section they rejected. And then the fifth section is called the coronation of the king. You want to know how they coronated your king. Remember, it's all still written in code. Nobody knows what's happening. Nobody knows that it was supposed to be this way. They think they're destroying God's plan of setting up a kingdom on earth. And God had a whole different shadow plan. And the plan was to coronate your king like this. Beat the tar out of him. Pull out his beard. Put a crown on his head to show that he's a king. Put a sign above him that says, King of the Jews. And all the prophecies began to state that this is how God, all the coded prophecies said, this is how God is going to coronate your king. He's going to be lifted up on a throne. King of the Jews. They were mocking him and they didn't know they just coronated the king of the world. God says, this is how my first coming will be. He took great lengths to say, the first coming will be a suffering servant. He will establish his kingdom. His kingdom will be in existence on the moment they lift him up. Because when they lift him up, it says, I'll give you one sign, Israel. I'll go into the belly of hell for three days and three nights. And then I will return. The return of the king. So he goes... He's crucified. He's exalted as a king. He's mocked. He's ridiculed. He's beaten. He's battered. Nobody's ever beaten that bad. And he's lifted up as a king of the world. He's put into a tomb. Goes into hell. Vanquishes every enemy that we've had. Takes the keys to hell. Takes the keys to death. Becomes the king of the world. Comes back onto the earth. Tells them, I am the king, my kingdom is here. And then he begins to tell parables. And see, this is where you're not going to be reading this the same anymore. One parable he tells, away from these Matthew ones, is he says, there's a nobleman that goes away to receive his kingdom in a faraway place and will return. Jesus went to a faraway place in hell, received his kingdom, went to heaven, established his kingdom, is building a place for us. I mean, you know, he's been building his kingdom all of this time. He's got a place for every single person that's a part of this kingdom. He's established it. He he, he sends his power in this world from that kingdom. He gives his gifts from that kingdom. He said, you don't know what's in store for you. No eye, no ear has heard But then you know what he says? You know. 
He said, believers know what's in store. Because His kingdom is in our heart. His kingdom's being poured out. We recognize. Sometimes we have nothing in this world, but you ever feel like you're rich? You ever feel like you have a whole kingdom behind you? He sends His spirit. He sends His power. Sends His gifts. Sends His authority. And He says, go out into the world. Let them know heaven's open right now. Heaven's open. The kingdom is here. The kingdom is now. If you see me casting out demons, know that I have power over everything. I've taken authority. How many demons were cast out before Jesus started casting them out? Do you remember any Old Testament demon possession casting out? And Jesus began... No, He didn't cast them out. No, they would come upon Saul and then they would leave and David would play. But, you know, there was no demon, demons cast out until Jesus began to cast them out and the, the kingdom authority was there at that time. Let me give you a final one here. What does this mean to us today? The question is, are we in the kingdom? Listen to the scripture. Romans chapter 5 verse 17 says this, For if by trespass one man, death reigned through that one man. Listen to this. How much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life? Through the one man Jesus. Did you hear that? Adam failed. We lost. Jesus won. And has given us the ability to reign in life. In fact, in one of the other translations it says. Uh, this is the. Um, I can't find it. One of their translations says he gives us the ability to be a king in this life, reign in this life, have the ability, the authority in our life. Now, what does he give us to cause us to reign in this life? It says he gives us the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness to reign in this life. So if there's a kingdom and the kingdom's been established, how do I reign in this life as a kingdom person? Number one thing I do is there's an abundance of grace. Grace. Now what did I do to earn grace? And see, here's the problem. Sometimes we don't live like kingdom people, okay, because we're like the Pharisee. The Pharisee says, I have to obey the law, obey the law, obey the law, obey the law. If I don't obey the law, what happens to me? Smacks me down. Because I didn't obey the law, now I'm not a kingdom person, right? Now I'm not one of God's people. How many ever get up in the morning and say, man, I'm in a bad time right now. I can't do anything for God because I'm not doing well. And the Bible says that we're to repent and we're beginning to grow in His grace. We're beginning to grow in His authority. We're beginning to grow in His power. And He says He gives us another gift. The gift is called righteousness. And you say, man, I wish I could grow in my righteousness. How many want to grow in the righteousness? See, here's the point. We don't. Man, that's shocking. You don't grow in the righteousness. You're either righteous or you're not righteous. You either have His righteousness or you have your righteousness. 
It's sin. Isn't God going to hit me with a mallet, knock me back down, and I'm no longer a kingdom person? No. He says, I gave you abundant grace. All I'm asking you to do is turn around, go the other direction. My kingdom is different than the kingdoms in this world. It's different than the old kingdom. It's different than all your ideals. I'm asking you to repent and and accept me as the Lord of your life. And I want to pour out abundant grace. That means for all of your sins, all of your shortcomings, everything you've done wrong. He says, I want to give you my righteousness. Your righteousness is never good enough. Your righteousness never was good enough. Your righteousness never will be good enough. Your righteousness won't be any better if you're an 80-year-old Christian that served their life powerfully. For the whole life, your righteousness still isn't better. I have to have His righteousness. And so God says you will reign in this life if you have abundant grace and you have His righteousness. So God wants us to get up in the morning and quit letting the enemy beat you up with condemnation. God wants us to be kingdom people. God wants us to reach this world. Let them know that the gates are wide open. The kingdom of heaven is wide open. And there is a king that's ready to be served today. There's a kingdom to live in. There's a life to reign in. What does it mean to reign in life? That means the enemy no longer has authority to beat you. Enemy's beating you up in a million different areas and you say, I can't beat it, I can't beat it. And God says, you'll reign in this life. But you have to receive His grace. You have to receive His righteousness. You have to move forward every day. There's no backward steps. Church, there's no backward steps. I wake up every day and every day I know that I have His righteousness. Because I've accepted Him as the Lord of my life. What about your failures? They're not there. What about your sins? I'm moving past them. But don't you, aren't you afraid to walk in God's presence with your righteousness? It's so dirty. I don't walk in His presence with my righteousness. I put His righteousness. So I get up in the morning, I put His righteousness on. And with His righteousness, I walk right into the gates. I'm not waiting for St. Peter to look for my name. I walk into His gates every day. I walk into His presence with His robe of righteousness. His grace upon me. I say, God, what do you want me to do for your kingdom today? What do you want me to do for your kingdom? Today, Lord God, I want to advance your kingdom. I want to establish your kingdom. I want to see your kingdom do great things today. I want to see the authority of the enemy destroyed today. God, I'm a kingdom person. God, bow your heads if you would. Worship team. Wow. I didn't even get into the parables. I really should have. Real quick, stand with me this morning. As you begin to get in the parables, what you find out, these parables are actually about the kingdom of heaven. The mustard seed. Remember he says it's something very small, but it ends up being bigger than everything else in the garden, even though it's the smallest seed. I mean, always talking about the kingdom of heaven. 
He's saying it'll start in you very small. This is all from Matthew. This is all the king's proclamations through parable. The kingdom will be very small, but because of your faith, this kingdom will eventually be bigger than anything. Talking about the kingdom of heaven. Second parable. Parable of the net. Parable of the net. It's where it says heaven's like a net thrown into the sea and gathers fish of every kind when it's full thrown ashore sat down and they sort the good and the bad fish I mean no this is the kingdom of heaven this means that there's a big net the gospel pulls in lots of believers but even among that net that pulled in believers there are a lot of people that aren't a part of the kingdom in fact I've watched this before I was in a boat one night commercial fisherman was next to me and they had a whole net full of fish they were throwing a 10 pound carp out the other side on everything that couldn't go to the market out on the other side. And it just goes to show you there are a lot of people that go through churches. But how many know not everybody is a part of the kingdom? God's saying, are you a part of the kingdom? Do you get up every day? Do you Did you receive the gospel of this kingdom? It's about to be established on this earth. This king is about to come back from a faraway place and he wants to see What's my kingdom look like? Who's a part of my kingdom? Praise God. One last one here. Parable of the hidden treasure. Kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man finds it, he hides it again. And in his joy, he goes back and sells everything and buys the field again. The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant who looks for fine pearls, when he finds one of great value, he goes away and sells everything he has and buys it. What this is saying is, the kingdom of heaven that Jesus was establishing on earth as he was walking is so important to our daily life to be a part of that kingdom that you need to sell everything and put your time into that. means seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Everything else is incidental. God's just asking us today, is He the Lord of your life? Have you sold everything to be a part of this kingdom? Is everything else pale in value to being a part of this kingdom of heaven that is on earth right now? Are we doing everything as a church? And this is where my cry is. My cry is that this church is a training facility, a training ground to be be going out And inviting people into this kingdom. Teaching people about this kingdom. Teaching people what it's about to be a kingdom person. A kingdom father, a kingdom mother, a kingdom child. Kingdom believers. Or we could just come every week and have a worship service and go home. Or we can be kingdom workers. Praise God. So I just want to ask you today. As we go into this new year... Where's your heart at right now? I want you guys to begin to think about that as we begin to close here in a word of prayer. Say, well, this is between you and God, not between me and you. Maybe you're not where you need to be at with the Lord right now. Maybe you're somebody that got into this ideal as long as I say the prayer and I really don't do anything for God, I'm probably okay. 
I'd say, no, you've got to be a part of this kingdom. Not the kingdoms of this world. You've got to be a part of my kingdom. I'm a king. And I deserve the glory. I deserve the worship. I deserve you getting up in the morning with me on your mind. God of heaven wants to send this church out to do great and mighty things. Church, our time is almost up. Our time's almost up. This is our last run to do something great for God. Now, I'm not forced to do it, but I want to do it. I want to do something great for God in this world. I want to reach people for God. Praise the Lord. Let's talk to the Lord this morning. If you need prayer, I'll be up here. If something's not right in your life, let's get it right today. I just want you to know that God's hand is on this church. Let me know that. And, um, you know, there's a lot of things as a pastor I wish I could do better. I just, I I want you to know that. There's a lot of things that I want to do and I just am not. I try my hardest. I want you to know that I try really hard, but there's a lot of things I'm not able to do that I want to do. God's hand is on this church. And God is doing things in this church. And I want you to keep praying for your church because God is going to launch us out in a way that we're not even going to believe. God's going to do mighty things through this church. And uh, I don't want anybody here, as we're, we're leaving, I don't want anybody to uh, allow the enemy to slow you down. Condemnation that comes from the enemy. I want you to wear... Uh, I want you to wear that uh, righteousness that comes from God, not us. I want you to be receivers. That's active participant. Receiver of His grace. Receiver of His righteousness. And if you're having trouble being beat up by being condemned, either you didn't accept Him as the Lord of your life, or you're getting beat up by condemnation. When you receive him as the Lord of your life, my faith transaction is I put his righteousness on you. And it's not mine anymore. The old creature is gone. Behold, there is a new creature that has righteousness that's acceptable to God, and it's his righteousness. So don't let the enemy slow you down. You sat on the sidelines too long being condemned. God wants us to move. God wants to do mighty things to this church. Lord, let's pray. Heavenly Father, right now, Lord God, Father, I just pray right now that you speak over this church, Lord God. Do mighty, mighty things, Lord. Oh, Father, I pray that the uh, 
seed of your word would find a place, Lord. Oh, Lord, that you would grow, Lord God, in grace this church, Lord. Oh, Father, that you would empower us with your Holy Spirit. Lord, that you would do mighty things in these last days, Lord God. Father, that we would be active participants in your kingdom, Lord. Your authority, your reign, Lord. Lord, it's been established. Let us walk in it, Lord. Do mighty things in this church, Lord. In your name we pray. And everybody said, Amen.